Um, man, it really does feel like coming home in so many ways, and it is really a pleasure to see everyone face to face. Grateful for the people who are on Zoom also. I want to start maybe just by briefly telling you why we're here. Uh, many of you may know from just our prayer letter or uh, things we've mentioned on Facebook, uh, but I, m- some of you may not get that. And so maybe why are the petties back in the United States of America and not in the Bolivian Amazon where they went to serve? And so uh, just quickly, we went to back to Bolivia after, uh, during last year was our, our home assignment after our first term, and we went back to uh, Bolivia with full intentions of continuing to serve there and um, work among several indigenous people groups in the Amazon jungle. And when we arrived in La Paz, Bolivia, we, um, we learned several things. Actually, we learned a few things before we even got there about how several of the people that we had been working with in the jungle had actually made decisions, made plans to leave uh, that area. Uh, these were people that we had invested in in our ministry uh, pretty significantly while we had been there and they were planning on leaving. And then we were also told by our leadership that they did not believe that we needed to go back to that area again, uh, at least for now, because um, there's a political turmoil in Bolivia um, that has been pretty extreme. We actually had a Uh, The ex-president, because of protests in the country, was essentially forced to leave his role. And an interim president who was favorable to the U.S. came into power, uh, which meant um, there could be problems for an isolated family like we were living in the jungle in a drug-producing area. So in other words, if the DEA, U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency, was allowed to come back to Bolivia with this new president then this individual U.S. family could become a pawn in all of that. And so they really believed we needed to return at some point in the future as a team, uh, not just to be a single family. We actually would draw harm to the people that were around us, attention being a a U.S. family there. And so we were in La Paz, Bolivia, just stopping and trying to ask the Lord, what would you have us to do? Because it appeared that we were going to have to start over one way or another in some new ministry. And uh, so we just stopped um, and stayed there for several weeks, really just crying out to the Lord that he would guide and direct us, that he would lead us, as the song we just sang. And um, uh, in the middle of the night, it was about 3 o'clock in the morning, I was reading a psalm about uh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I was trying to remind myself to believe that the Lord is good in the midst of circumstances which seemed bad. And while I was reading and studying that psalm, an email that SIMUSA, SIM, the mission agency that we went with, had sent three months earlier just popped in my mind about a position for a director of personnel at the home office. And so I just sent a quick email. This is kind of one of those things, a weak moment, 3 o'clock in the morning. I sent an email to SIMUSA and to that, a reply to that three-month-old email and said, is this position still open? And it was one of those things, you know, when Gideon put the fleece out, it was sort of that for me. Like, uh, Lord, if this is just something that's happening in the middle of the night because I'm desperate, just let this thing die. It's probably a position that's already filled anyway. Maybe you want us to stay here. We're content, we're glad to do that. 
Um, but the person responded. Um, my current boss responded and said, yes, the position's still open. Um, and I just left it alone still because I thought, I don't know. I, we're in Bolivia, and that's a big move, and I, we, want, we want to minister here if we can and should. And so I just left it alone. And she wrote back to me later that afternoon and said, Chris, I just need to ask, are you asking for yourself if it's still open, or are you asking for somebody else? And I just told her what I just told you, middle of the night, sent an email in my desperation to see if the Lord might say something. And she said, well, we would really like to have you consider the position. And so things kind of got a life, and uh, we decided that the Lord would have us to come back for this position. And the reason we were able to do that, frankly, um, is that I think once you've been there and seen the need, the only thing that was acceptable to us in terms of a change would be a position that would enable us to send more people to that need. So if we're leaving the need, the only thing that was acceptable to us is a position that enabled us to send more people there so that we could replace ourselves with a team uh, rather than being an isolated family. And so we believe this role gave us that opportunity at SIM uh, as director of personnel. I oversee all of the over 700 missionaries that SIM sends out around the world. And so I've been doing that uh, very heavily for the last several months um, since March. Um, you can imagine what COVID-19 and border closings have done to missionaries working around the world. Uh, it has been extreme. And so uh, in many ways, I feel like, uh, you know, that pastor and Esther we often quote, for such a time as this, it really felt like an opportunity, a season, uh, where it was all hands on deck to try to help the missionaries that were around the world. Um, and then uh, at the same time that I was coming on as director of personnel, we had a new U.S. director of SIM USA come on board, and he... Uh, after studying kind of things and where the U.S. is relative to sending missionaries, uh, arrived at the conclusion that we really need to have all hands on deck in terms of recruiting and sending out more missionaries. Uh, the U.S. is on a decline in terms of the number of missionaries that we're sending out every year. Uh, SIM's doing better than most, but it's still on a decline of about 3%. Um, and so um, he realized we've got to go all into this to try to send more workers. The need is great still, and so what are we going to do? And so he created a, a new position called Chief Recruitment Officer, and he asked, he's asked me to fill that role now. And so begin to, beginning December 1st, that will be my new full-time role, and I'm actually onboarding someone to take over the Director of Personnel role. So a lot of changes still happening. Uh, if I'm just honest with you, and probably my family would say this too, just about their own lives, we're pretty exhausted right now, so we appreciate your prayer that. It's just been a heavy season. Uh, at the same time, we're very grateful that the Lord has given us an opportunity to serve Him in uh, really inviting other people to be missionaries. It's the greatest privilege in the world, and so it's an opportunity to invite more people to experience the greatest blessing ever, really. So I do that kind of unashamed. Uh, and that's what this sermon's about, is really inviting you to participate in it. So with all of that, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll, we'll get started. Our Father, we thank you so much for, for you, for who you are. We thank you that you do, in fact, lead us, and that we today stand on your promises, 
when things seem to be caving in, when things seem to be at their worst, when chaos seems to be thriving, we stand on your promises. And we know that you are a faithful God and we trust you that you will do what in fact you have promised to do. So Father, we ask now that you would help us in these moments of this sermon to be renewed in our faith in Christ, that we would trust him and that that trust would translate into an obedience that's radical for the sake of your name among the nations. Father, will you do that work in our hearts which only you can do by your grace? Will you speak through me in such a way that I disappear and your word becomes absolutely clear and plain and powerful to your people? Father, I pray that you would remove anything from being an obstacle in our lives to our obedience to the Great Commission and that you would use this sermon as a means to that end so that we would look back upon hearing your word and we would ascribe to it and to you the power that it is worthy of. So, Father, we thank you for this time. Work in our hearts for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I'm the last sermon, as I understand it, in this missions conference, and I have a particular assignment, and that assignment is to preach on obedience to the Great Commission, obedience to the call. And so, for the purposes of this sermon, I'm actually going to assume that you believe that you should obey the Great Commission. That it's something that you should do. That is, make disciples of all nations. I'm going to assume that there's no theological objection you have to that, that obedience. I'm going to assume that you believe that the Great Commission is still relevant. It's still an active command from the Lord Jesus. And that it's a command for every single believer, not merely a isolated group or a special group of believers, but it's for every believer. I'm also going to assume that it's a call, that you know, that it's a call to both local disciple making and global disciple making. Local in that around here, you need to be about making disciples, but global because it's, the command really is disciples of all nations, and therefore that means other places as well. And the urgency, in fact, is great in other places, more so than even here. And so I'm going to assume that you believe that. I'm also going to assume that you believe that it's still necessary to make disciples of all nations, that this is not a completed task. You heard last week from Eric, he preached from the text that says, there are too few workers for the harvest. Remember that? The harvest is plentiful and workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send more workers into the harvest. And Jesus says that, as Eric explained to us, Jesus said that so that we'd feel the weight of it. Plentiful harvest, not enough workers. That's just the reality. I'm going to assume that you know that, that there aren't enough workers. That you know something like this stat. For every one million Muslims in the world, there are actually two workers preaching the gospel to them. Every one million. There are 70,000 people in Catoosa County. And we have hundreds of churches. But for every one million Muslims, there's two people proclaiming the gospel. So I'm going to assume that you know stats like that that would indicate that the Great Commission is still necessary. And you know 
that those who die without placing their faith in Christ, they face nothing less than eternal punishment with no hope of mercy ever. And you believe that the only way that that might be alleviated for them is if they hear and believe in the gospel and that the only way they'll hear the gospel is if there's someone to preach it to them. I'm going to assume that you believe all of that. And finally, I'm going to assume that you believe that Christ is worthy of worship from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. He's worthy of it. So, if these assumptions are not somehow true of you, that's understandable. We come from different places. Some people are unaware of the need in the world just because they might not have been exposed to it. I'd love to have a conversation with you after the service to talk to you about that need. Or if you're someone who reads Matthew 28 and you say, you know what, this is a historical text to a historical group of people and it no longer applies to the church today. If that's your belief, then I'd love to have a conversation with you about that text and explain why I believe it's in fact relevant for all of us. But I'm going to assume that for the vast majority, if not everyone in this room, you already believe that. That it's relevant and that it's needed. So I'm going to move on to trying to show from the scriptures what it is we must do then to move from should obey the Great Commission to actually obeying the Great Commission. Where's the, how do we bridge the gap between knowing that we should and actually doing it? I don't want to spend time with the should, I want to spend time with closing the gap. And so maybe you're in a couple of different places this morning relative to that obedience. Maybe you've never really taken much of a step at all toward obedience in the Great Commission. Maybe if you were to look at your giving patterns or your lack of support, prayer, and otherwise of missionaries, infrequent prayers maybe for other people groups, maybe if you were to look at those things, you'd realize, you know, I really haven't taken a serious step in obedience to this Great Commission that I believe that I should be a part of. Or maybe, like many of you I know, have already taken steps in obedience, but you believe that you should take greater steps of obedience. That you want to deepen your obedience to the Great Commission. That you want to obey it to a greater degree. Maybe you've thought more about giving, to the, about giving more to the mission, maybe sacrificially, but you haven't actually written checks that reflect a sacrificial gift. Or maybe you've thought about participating in a short-term trip, but you've never actually gone on a short-term trip. Or maybe you've realized, you know what, the Lord's touching my heart to actually consider long-term missions to a least-reached people group. Maybe that's actually passed through your heart and you've never really taken the step to go beyond that feeling to the inquiry of how that might work. If you have something to write on this morning, I, I would love for you to write down what you believe your next step of obedience to the Great Commission is. What you think you should do in response to this Great Commission that we hopefully all agree is absolutely relevant and absolutely necessary. If you don't have anything to write down, just consider it in your mind and make a mental note. What is your next step of obedience? 
to the Great Commission. And I want to ask something maybe as you consider that. Does writing down that step or actually considering it in your mind in that way, does it make you a little nervous to actually state it explicitly? Does it scare you a little bit to really consider taking that next step of obedience? These feelings we have, whether they be fear or anxiety or even apathy, those kinds of feelings are indications of something in our hearts that need to be battled against. In order for us to move from should obey the Great Commission to actually obeying the Great Commission. If you feel something when you write down that next step that is not a wholehearted, amen, let me move there now, maybe that feeling you have needs to be uncovered and then battled against with some truth from the Word of God. So I want you to just hold that for a minute, whatever you've written down, whatever you've put in your mind, try to remember what your next step in obedience to the Great Commission is. And in order to help us try to close the gap between where we are now and actually taking that next step, I want to look at a passage in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, if you'll turn there, please. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Paul is coming to the close of his life, and therefore his earthly ministry, and he's writing a letter to Timothy, and this is the last chapter of the letter, and almost the last words that we have written from Paul, and he writes, at my first defense, verse 16, at my first defense no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So we're trying to get from should obey to actually obeying and we're looking at the example of the Apostle Paul to help us bridge that gap and if we're looking for an example then it's difficult to find a better human example than the Apostle Paul apart from Christ himself Paul was the greatest missionary of all time both by fruit of his ministry and by faithfulness to that ministry even to this day, Paul was the greatest missionary of all time apart from Christ. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul is encouraging Timothy, and by inference us, to follow his example. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, he tells Timothy, You have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings, etc., he tells Timothy, you've done well in following my example. And then later in 2 Timothy 1.12, he says, 
follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. So Paul's actually saying, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, look at me as an example of obeying the Lord and his call to make disciples. And Paul claims in this passage that we're looking at today to have actually fully obeyed the Great Commission. This is a pretty amazing statement in this passage. Notice verse 17, he says, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Doesn't that sound like the Great Commission? That through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles, and the word for Gentiles there is the same word as nations in Matthew 28. That all the nations might hear it. This is a pretty staggering statement. It sounds like Paul is saying that all the nations have now heard the gospel through him. And yet we know that can't be what Paul is saying exactly because Paul's actually encouraging Timothy to continue in this ministry of proclaiming the gospel. It's not complete yet. Paul's not saying that all people groups have heard the gospel now and that there's no need to continue in obedience. Notice the context of this passage. It's apparently a trial. We're not sure exactly which trial. We have different arguments back and forth. Verse 16, Paul mentions that his full proclamation of the gospel to the nations occurred at his first defense. His first defense. This could be some sort of preliminary trial. Remember, Paul was in prison in Rome. It could have been the, the trial in Rome at the end of Acts, or it could have been after a release after Acts and another preliminary trial. We're not exactly sure. However, Paul's saying at this event, this preliminary defense he gave, all the nations, all the Gentiles heard the message. So we, we know Paul's not saying that at that one trial, all people groups in the world heard the message. What he's saying is something metaphorical, that, in the, that Paul has now fulfilled his part of obedience to the Great Commission. That is, Paul was called as an apostle specifically to carry the name of Jesus before the Gentiles. Do you remember that in Acts? He's, he's the Gentile apostle. He's the apostle that's to bear the name before the Gentiles, and he's in Rome, which is the center of the Roman Empire, what was then known, the known world. Paul's in the center of the known world, and he's proclaiming the gospel before kings and rulers and others. And for Paul, that was the fulfillment of his call to ministry, to preach the gospel to the nations. Paul saw that his ministry had, in fact, been fulfilled. That God, that the Lord Jesus had given him a specific ministry to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. And that that had been fulfilled when he's proclaiming the gospel in the center of the Roman Empire. You may have heard the, the shot that started the Revolutionary War called the, the shot that was heard around the world. Have you ever heard that, right? The, the, that first shot that began our Revolutionary War. Obviously, we don't mean it was the shot that was literally heard around the world, but we mean it was, had such import for the history of the world that it was heard in its effects around the world. I would say there's something similar going on here. When Paul was in the center of the Roman Empire, proclaiming the gospel for the first time to Gentile nations who had never heard it, 
The ripple effect of that proclaiming has now been heard around the world, in effect. The missionary movement was launched to the nations. And Paul could say, I have fully proclaimed the message, and the Gentiles have heard it because of the significance of that event. And so Paul is saying, I've obeyed the Great Commission. I've obeyed the Great Commission, my role within the Great Commission. Each of us has a role within the Great Commission. Paul obeyed his fully and could say that at the end of his life. And so if we're all needing an example of finding a way to move from our should to our will, obey, we can look no further than the Apostle Paul who actually did it. He's our example. He's called us to look to him as an example. Acts 9 verse 15 calls Paul the Apostle to the Gentiles, and he's accomplished that particular role at this defense. So now, what does he tell us through his example that would help us move from knowing that we should obey and actually obeying? And the key to closing the gap between the knowing and the doing is actually stated in verse 17. Paul says, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might fully be proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Notice what Paul connects his obedience to. His obedience to the Great Commission was accomplished because of the Lord's presence with him. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that this was accomplished. Verse 16 tells us that Paul had been left completely alone by all of his companions. He wrote, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. But then he goes on to say, there was one who stood by him through it all. And that was the Lord himself. And that one was sufficient to enable him to obey the Great Commission. Jesus' presence with Paul was sufficient for him to fully obey the Great Commission. And although we don't know the exact event Paul's referring to in these verses... We see examples of the Lord's strengthening presence with Paul in various places in Acts. Acts chapter 18 verse 9 and 10 says, The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. So here's a state, here's a place. Paul knew he should obey in proclaiming the gospel. And in that moment, he's feeling fear and anxiety about taking the next step. And the Lord appears to him in a vision and says, I am with you, do not be afraid. And Paul kept going. And therefore fulfilled the call upon his life relative to the Great Commission. Same thing occurs in Acts chapter 23 verse 11. It says, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Paul knew that he was called to be a witness of Christ to the Gentiles. He knew that he should proclaim. But what enabled him to actually proclaim in the face of danger and potential suffering was his confidence in the presence of Christ to go with him. So after recounting the Lord's enabling presence, 
verse 17, with him in the past. Then Paul moves to talk about the trust that he has ongoing. that The Lord will be with him in the future. Verse 18 of 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. You know how Paul finished out his life? It's our understanding that Nero beheaded him shortly after he wrote these words. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Weeks passed, he's beheaded. But Paul was not in, wrong to place his confidence in the Lord that the Lord would deliver him from every evil deed. Paul wasn't misunderstanding the promise of God to rescue him and bring him safely into his heavenly kingdom. What we realize is that the Lord did deliver Paul from every evil deed. He brought him safely into his heavenly kingdom. Nero's beheading of Paul, it wasn't a failing of God's promise, but a fulfillment of God's promise. It was an event used by God to deliver Paul safely into his heavenly kingdom. So even in death, Jesus was with him and carried him all the way through so that he might fully obey. So Paul tells us that he fully obeyed the Great Commission even though everyone else deserted him because Christ the Lord was with him. And he knew that the Lord would continue to be with him to deliver him from every evil future deed. So what is Paul saying by his example and words here? If, if Paul's our example, he's telling us to watch me and follow me, imitate me, and he's the one who actually has fully obeyed the Great Commission, what is he saying to us who need to take that next step of obedience? He's saying, whatever is in the way of your should and do, you can trust him to overcome that gap. Whatever's keeping you from moving from should do this to actually doing it, Paul is saying to you, you can trust him. Whatever fear or anxiety or worry you have in your heart, when you think about taking a next step, Paul is saying by his example and his words, you can trust Jesus. You can trust him to take that next step. You obey by trusting Jesus. You can trust him that he will be there even if no one or nothing else is. Jesus will be there for you. Paul says he was there for me in the past and I know that he will be there for me in the future. Follow my example in trusting him. You see, this is how obedience works for the Christian. Maybe you didn't realize that. Sometimes we go through our whole Christian lives without ever thinking about the question, how do I obey? How does a Christian obey? And the example is given here, we obey by trusting in Christ. That's how we obey. We walk not by sight in our surrounding circumstances. We walk by faith in Christ who promises to be with us and to deliver upon all his precious promises. Our past experiences of God's faithfulness and the testimonies of other believers in the scriptures and outside the scriptures, 
they act as fuel for our faith, saying, trust him. Has he ever failed you? No, he's never failed you. He will not fail you in the future. Has he ever failed anyone? No, it's not his character to ever fail. He is faithful even when we are faithless. You can trust him to take the next step. Take courage for the Lord will go with you in this next step of obedience. It's our faith in his promises that enables to enables us to overcome all of the obstacles between our knowing what to do and the actual doing of it. Have you ever wondered why the Great Commission is accompanied by a promise of Christ's presence with us? Remember, it says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold... I am with you always. Why does that promise occur right next to the command to make disciples? It's because the promise of Christ's presence is there to move us, to enable us to move from the should obey to the will obey. It's made possible by knowing that he will be there for you in that obedience. This is the way to obey in the Christian life, whatever command you're trying to obey. Trust Christ that he will be there for you. Trust Christ's promises. The Christian life is faith in Christ from beginning to end. And the way that we strengthen our faith is to remember, recall God's faithfulness to us in the past, to hear the testimonies of his people, to meditate upon his character in the scriptures, which then fuels our faith in the future promises given to us by Christ. Do you know that's one of the main effects of singing songs in a worship service? Why do we sing songs in a worship service together? Part of it is we enjoy singing the songs. We offer praise to God. Another part of it, if you'll listen to the songs, is they're recalling and talking about God's faithfulness. And we're all speaking to one another in the song. Our God is faithful. You can stand on his promises. He was faithful to Israel. It's a recalling of the faithfulness of God so that leaving the service, you will trust him more deeply. We're all telling each other he's trustworthy. You can trust him to take the next step of obedience. It's what we do because we need to trust in him in order to obey one of the reasons we take the Lord's Supper in our services. The Lord's Supper is a remembrance of the work of Christ and together we spend time to recall what he has done in the past so that we can trust him afresh in the present for what he's going to do in the future as we obey him. So let's come back to your note if you made it even in your mind, if it's still there in your mind, or you've made it on an actual sheet of paper. You wrote down what your next step is relative to the Great Commission? What did you write there would be your next step? Did you write maybe, I should give more sacrificially to support the mission? I want you to see how this works. And maybe what's keeping you from that next step of giving sacrificially is a fear that if you give in a sacrificial way, you'll not have enough to support yourself or your family. 
or that you won't be able to live a life that you've become accustomed to. There's a fear that giving sacrificially might mean something less for your family, might mean less contentment for you. But I want you to see how trusting in Christ can help you overcome that obstacle. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. That's a command. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. But notice there's a promise. This is how obedience works. The promise is, He has said, I will never leave you forsake you. Okay, so think about that for a minute. Have you read Bible passages and wondered, why are they there together? Like, why are verses together? Why does he say, keep your life free from the love of money, be content with what you have, and then say, Jesus promised I'll never leave you or forsake you. What do those two have to do with each other? It's because if you trust that Jesus will be there for you forever, that he will not forsake you, then you are free from trusting in the security that money provides. And you are free from the trusting in the contentment that money provides because Jesus will never leave you. You can be perfectly content because you'll have Jesus even if you gave it all away. You'll still have Jesus. He'll provide for you and he will be your joy. So you can move from should write the check to actually writing the check because after you write the check, you'll still have Jesus. How you move from should to do is by trusting in Christ. Or maybe you wrote on your paper or in your mind, I should serve, consider serving as a long-term missionary. I mean, I'm going to be honest, it's mainly why we're here today. Want more long-term missionaries. Maybe you've thought about that in the past. Maybe it's crossed your heart. Then you just sort of shove it away or you think one day. But perhaps what is keeping you from taking the next step of obedience to that is fear of safety for your family or for yourself. You're afraid of what that might mean if you took that next step to at least Ask the question, what would you have me do, Lord? Where would you have me go? How would you have me to proclaim your name? But that obstacle can also be overcome by trusting in Christ and his promises. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There's a promise embedded in that. You hear the promise? If you live, you have Christ. And the worst thing that could happen to you from an earthly standpoint is to die. And if you die, you'll gain. Like it's better that you would die, not worse. That you don't actually lose with Jesus, you gain with Jesus. That death doesn't mean the end to good things, it means the beginning of even greater things. Paul writes, the Lord will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. That kind of faith in Christ and his promises that moves you from I should go to I will go because he will be with me and I have nothing to fear. 
But if you find yourself failing to even get there, you want to trust in Christ, you feel the fear, you're trying to trust in Christ, and you can't muster the faith up, what do you do then? Well, then you, you spend time listening to the testimonies of other believers who will say to you, you can trust him. He is trustworthy, regardless of what happens. And read the stories of missionaries who have gone who will tell you, it was tough, you suffered a lot, but you can trust him. You meditate on the power of God in the scriptures and consider the, the glorious hope that stands before you. And you spend time crying out to God to show you more of his character. And as you do that, you'll find your faith in Christ being strengthened. And then that faith will move you overcome the obstacle that stands in the way of your obedience to the Great Commission. Testimony of Paul and others in the scriptures is that Christ is trustworthy for you. You can place your trust in him anew to overcome the gap that stands between the should and the actual doing of the obedience. If Christ is with you, all of God's promises are true. Every single one of them. And those promises overcome all fear, they overcome all guilt, all anxiety, and all apathy. If you find yourself not even caring to move to the next step of obedience, trust in the promises of Christ, as you'll recognize that they are greater than what you could possibly imagine, and your heart will be lifted to pursue those promises by faith, rather than to stay in your current spot of should without doing. So we've heard Paul say, he was with me and he will be with me. You can trust him. But there's another example given for us within this passage that help, can help us move to from should obey to actual obedience. I want you to look at your text with me for a moment. This will help. Second Timothy 4, 16 through 18. In these verses, whether you recognize it upon your first reading or not, Paul's actually alluding over and over again to the sufferings of Jesus himself. Paul is actually interpreting his own suffering for the sake of the gospel in light of the suffering of Jesus. In particular, Paul does this by alluding to Psalm 22, a messianic psalm that Jesus cites from the cross. Jesus quotes Psalm 22, and Paul in this passage is alluding over and over again to Psalm 22. So I can't go through all of it, but I'm just going to list some of the ways these allusions happen, okay? So when Paul states that all deserted me, the word deserted there is the same word that's used in the Greek version of Psalm 22, which says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The word deserted and the word forsaken are the same Greek word. Paul's alluding to Jesus' words even on the cross that he quoted from Psalm 22. 2 Timothy 4, Paul writes about the help which comes from the presence of the Lord with me. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Psalm 22 speaks of this same theme, multiple places. One verse says, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. The Lord is with you, you have help. 
2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes that the Lord stood by him so that the message might be fully proclaimed and all the nations might hear it. In Psalm 22, the psalmist writes, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before him, for dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul uses three different Greek verbs for rescue or deliverance. Psalm 22, those exact three Greek verbs appear, and they appear in the same alternating order as they do in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul is very intentionally alluding to Psalm 22, which talks about Jesus, which Jesus referred to as fulfilling while he was on the cross. And apart from Psalm 22, another reference to Jesus occurs, let me back up one, I'm sorry, Um, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul states that the Lord delivered him from the mouth of the lion, which sounds strange because we don't know that of any event here that Paul might be referring to, unless you realize that Paul is actually alluding to Psalm 22, which says, save me from the mouth of the lion. All of these connections and this next connection, Paul says, they all deserted me, may it not be charged against them. Does that sound familiar from the word, lips of Jesus? They've all forsaken me, forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. Paul's life of suffering is a following after Jesus' life of suffering. Paul's alluding to Jesus as he describes his own suffering and trust in the Lord. Paul's example of suffering for the gospel looks back to an even greater example of suffering, namely that of Jesus Christ himself. Why is that? What's Paul trying to tell us here. He's trying to say to you that the one who will be with you in your obedience to the mission as you suffer is the one who has already gone before you in his own suffering. Jesus knows what it's like to be deserted. He will be with you if others desert you. Jesus knows what it's like to be mocked. He will be with you if you are mocked. Jesus knows what it is like to die for the name of God. He will be with you if you die for the name of God. He promises to be with you when you take the next step in obedience. Your companion through the suffering, your companion in the obedience, your companion in the perceived loss is none other than the one who has gone before you in all those things. He is not one who is untouched by suffering, who can identify with you in the moment. He is the one who has already gone before you in it, and you follow him after it, and he will be with you even until the end of the age. There's a lot being said in those statements by Jesus Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Behold, I am with you even until the end of the age. The one who suffered on your behalf will be with you until the end. And even through the end. What is your... What is your next step in obedience to the Great Commission? 
What obstacle is standing between knowing that you should do it, knowing that the need is great, what stands between you knowing that and actually taking that next step of obedience that you considered before? Paul would say to you, whatever is there that's keeping you from taking that step, next step, you can trust Jesus for that. You can overcome it by trusting in him and his promises. He will be with you. And if you leave here today not believing that yet, you have work to do. And that work is listening to the testimonies of the saints through the ages. Meditating upon the character of God in the scriptures. And crying out to God that he would strengthen your faith. So that you might say, Christ will be with me, I need not fear. Take courage this morning, take courage, he will be with you. And take that next step. So I don't know what you wrote down or even if you wrote something down. Can I give you a little practical help just as I close? If you say, I am ready to take the next step, there are, there are many resources and opportunities to help you take that next step. If you say, you know what, I've been holding on to my income as my source of security, but I no longer want to do that because Christ, Christ promises to be with me and I want to give, there are opportunities to give, the Hollands need your support. Petties are still supported. There are other missionaries we know that need your support. People have to go and they need support to go. You can take that step of obedience. In the midst of COVID-19, what's been amazing in the U.S. is the giving to SimUSA, it's never faltered. Can you believe that? Our giving is better this year than it was last year. God doing that in the middle of a pandemic you say Chris you know what your job is this is kind of funny Chris you have a job to try to send as many missionaries from the US as possible over the next several years in the right after a pandemic has occurred but if you look at our history and our organization we've sent more missionaries after every major disaster or difficulty in the US that's when our peaks are when you had the 1918 flu after that more missionaries Great Depression after that more missionaries world wars after that more missionaries every major crisis in the country's history has been followed by more missionaries being sent Do you know why because the problem is not a lack of resources the problem is a holding on to what this world offers and when the pandemics come and the crises come, the people finally say, you know what, it never meant that much to me in the first place. I can let it go, and that's my prayer, is that COVID-19 and the pandemic would say, you know what, I can live without it. I can live without it. Christ means more to me. And I trust him. He is trustworthy. So Maybe your next step is talking to your pastor about how you might be more involved in the mission here locally, 
take that next step by trusting in Jesus. Maybe it's about actually serving in long-term missions. Maybe it's actually one of you that may have not ever said it, or maybe you've said it, but you haven't actually taken a next step. Maybe you just thought, one day I'll do that. And I'm saying to you today, why don't you go ahead and make today that day that you take that next step? Don't, don't wait, because there are people who are living and dying without ever hearing the name of Christ. So be moved, be moved in your faith by recalling God's path faithfulness, and then look at Jesus and say, I'm scared, but you are trustworthy, and you promise to be with me, and then take a next step. And very practically, how you might do that is come talk to me. Come talk to Craig. This is Craig Windsor. Craig, will you raise your hand? So Craig works with us at SAM. He lives in Cleveland, so he kind of represents our mission organization here in Chattanooga area. If you want to talk to somebody about missions, you want to sit down for a cup of coffee or go to lunch or breakfast with somebody, Craig's your man. Just go talk to him. Call me and say, you know what, I don't even know what it looks like to take that next step, but I, I just want to have a conversation about what it might look like. I'm, I'm an engineer, I'm a doctor, I'm a whatever, I'm a person. <laughs> and I want to know what it might look like for me to serve long-term on people who've never heard. And we'll dream with you about what that might be. Just dream by faith. And Christ's promise to be there with you about what you might do in terms of that next step. Just have a conversation maybe is the next step toward obedience to the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Behold, he will be there with you even till the end of the age. Let's pray together. Father, we confess our, our weakness, we confess our lack of faith, we confess our anxieties, our struggles, our worries. We confess, Father, that for many of us we've known for a long time that we should walk in obedience to the Great Commission, but practically we haven't done much in that direction. Father, we just ask that you would help us to take that next step, whatever it is. That we'd hear the testimony of Paul speaking to us and saying, you can trust Jesus. And Father, that we would trust him. We'd go to war against those anxieties or apathies, worries or fears with the promises that were blood-bought for us by Christ. And Father, I pray that to the degree we are failing in that trust, I pray, Lord, that you would remind us of your faithfulness. From the very beginning, you have been faithful. It is in your character. You will not fail. So I pray, Father, that you would move your people to trust in you to take that next step of obedience so that you might be glorified among the nations. In Jesus' name.